everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. I'm so glad that you could join us today. Today, it is my objective and great honor to share with you all a message of hope from God's Word. But before I get to today's passage and to the hope it provides, I want to start by drawing your mind to what comes before hope. And to do that, I ask that you all right now reflect on the word hopelessness. Hopelessness. What comes to mind when I say that word? Perhaps some of you thought about the opening scenes of your favorite sci-fi or fantasy movies. For example, Darth Vader's capture of Princess Leia in Star Wars, a powerful scene that communicates a looming sense of hopelessness, which will then drive the narrative of the entire trilogy. Perhaps some of you thought about painful real-life situations, issues that you have gone through or are going through now. Parents with rebellious teens, kids from single-parent homes, single adults, Hopelessness might be a regular feeling. But there's something else I'm sure many of you thought about. Maybe you thought about hopelessness on a grander scale. The increasing numbers of infected during this global pandemic. News about major natural disasters striking across the world and maybe in your home country. Or maybe constant headlines speaking about racial and social injustice. Given where we are as a world today, let's focus on that last series of examples hopelessness on a grand scale. Realities, events of life totally beyond our control and ability to handle and fix as individuals. How do we confront hopelessness here? What keeps us going in the face of a global pandemic? The threat of hurricanes, forest fires, or rising sea levels? What keeps us going when we hear about horrible cases of discrimination, never-ending ethnic and racial tensions, new waves of radicals popping up constantly on seeming every end of the political and social spectrum? Well, thinking back to Star Wars and the movies, we search for hope. In the face of hopelessness on a grand scale, we seek a person, an idea, a thing in which we can place our hope and wait for change. In Star Wars, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. In a global pandemic, it's the promise of a vaccine. In the face of political divisions and social strife, it's a charismatic leader with a solid platform. While these things can be great, let's just think about them for a minute. We need to realize something. In all these examples of situations leading to hopelessness, the sources of hope I mentioned don't actually address the fundamental issue. Luke Skywalker overthrew the Galactic Emperor, but in a few short years, the First Order came back with a vengeance. A vaccine might remove the threat of the virus, but what happens when the virus mutates or the next one comes? What happens when the politi political leader turns out to be corrupt or their term in office comes to an end? That's heavy to think about, but it reveals an important truth about life. Our typical sources of hope are not enough. They are often limited in their effect, unrealistic pipe dreams, or painfully temporary. Hopelessness is a tragic thing. Turn to one source of hope or another, and at best, you're still just waiting around for the next problem to come. If we want to actually deal with hopelessness, we need to get at something deeper. We need to address a more foundational issue. While effective vaccines are worth pursuing, good and honest politicians worth supporting, we need to recognize that they are just putting particular band-aids on certain wounds for a limited time. There's always going to be the next thing, the next problem, the next injustice. 
What we really need as we confront the grand problems constantly facing our world is a source of hope that can address every variable. A source of hope that can literally stand the test of time. A source of hope that is incorruptible, unshakable, able to provide a solution that cannot be undone. What we need is a source of hope that can speak to the eternal. What I'm going to proclaim today is that when facing hopelessness and searching for hope, we need to look beyond our world and its worldly solutions. We need to look to Jesus Christ. While that's probably uh, a claim you expected me to make, let me endeavor to demonstrate it. Together, let's walk through a passage of hope in Scripture and discover some out of the many ways Jesus shows himself to be the perfect source of hope we all need. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, pause the video, grab one, and follow along as I read Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Here we go. After this, I looked and behold, a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and they around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Just from reading, I think believers listening to this will already understand how this is a glorious and triumphant passage of hope. What's presented here is the most beautiful, great, and perfect source of hope that we will ever know. But let's break it down. To begin, I want to start by talking about the author of this message, the man who received this vision and the people he was communicating it to. Looking at the very start of this book in Revelation 1.1, we learn that the person seeing and describing this vision is John. This John is very likely the same John we know from other places in scripture. One of Jesus's first disciples, part of Christ's inner circle, even among the 12 apostles, author of the gospel and epistles of John. By all accounts, John was one of the most prominent leaders of the early church, not only present during and witness to the amazing life and ministry of Jesus, but also a defining figure in the spread of the church after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Yet, despite this wonderful past, by the time we get to John in Revelation, things look very different. 
While there's a bit of debate among scholars whether John was writing during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero or Domitian, either way, he was writing during a time of intense persecution. The churches of Asia, modern-day Turkey, that John was speaking to would have been bearing the worst persecution the church has ever seen. Not only were Christians hated by their society, outcast by law, the government was actively seeking to kill Christians, to wipe their movement off the face of the world. John himself, a great leader of this movement, was a part of this suffering. He references in Revelation 1-9 that he is a partner in the tribulation that the church is facing. We learn from that verse that John is currently exiled on the tiny island of Patmos. John, who had seen the church grow by thousands at a time while ministering in Judea, was now writing to a community that was by all human reckoning on the verge of total extinction. If anyone could have felt justifiably hopeless, it was John and the people he was writing to. Many Christians in the West today worry about Christianity losing respect in society, worry about rights and freedoms of Christians being curtailed. John was writing in a world defined by those worst fears, in a time when being a Christian was literally a death sentence. Right now, as we approach John's vision of hope in Revelation 7, we must consistently recognize that this message was going to people who knew hopelessness in a way that most of us here today will never know. So, let's get into it. Follow along as I read again Revelation 7, 9 to 12. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in robes of white and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and uh, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing passage. John, exiled on Patmos, writing to isolated, persecuted Christian communities, sees a vision of a multitude. But not just any multitude. This multitude was vast, plentiful, so numerous that it was beyond any human ability to count. But there's more. This multitude was so diverse that the term diversity seems inadequate to describe it. What John saw was an assembly that included representation from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every single language. Not only that, around this multitude were the angels, God's heavenly host. Take that all in. What did John see? A congregation, an innumerable congregation, including every nation, surrounded by the angelic armies and choirs of heaven. What could possibly bring together such a monumentous, awe-inspiring, and immeasurable crowd? John's answer? Jesus. For at the heart of this boundless host, John says was the throne and the Lamb. The Lamb who we learn in Revelation 5 is Jesus Christ, the root of David, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. 
And what are all the people crying out? Take the angel's anthem in verse 12 as an example. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All the nations, all the people, even with the angels, are seen unified in worship directed at Jesus. This was a vision of eternity, what John, the early church, and believers today have to look forward to. Perfect unity in Jesus Christ. What makes this an unparalleled source of hope, a hope like none other? Ultimately, it shows that God's promise will be fulfilled. Thousands of years ago, God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through their family. Through the prophets and the psalmists, God declared that one day all nations shall come before him together and glorify his name. This vision confirms to us that those promises, those declarations, those proclamations will be kept in full. This vision tells us that we can hope because Jesus will unify us. Jesus Christ will conquer the nations and usher in a perfect peace that brings together Jew and Greek, Roman and Persian, English and French, Wendat and Haudenosaunee, Kurd and Turk, Bosnian and Serbian, Hutu and Tutsi, Han and Uyghur. We can hope knowing that God will keep his promise. Jesus will unify the nations and the church will be the international family that God intended it to be from the very beginning. One day, God's people will be a single nation formed of many nations, and they will stand together triumphantly, wearing robes of white, holding palm branches of victory, worshiping he who sits on the throne and the lamb. That was the hope John needed when wondering if the church would die out in the face of persecution. That was the hope we need when confronting racism and discrimination in our country, cities, and churches today. Jesus will unify us. But that leads to the question, how will Jesus unify us? John's vision speaks to that too. Follow with me as I read verses 13 to 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the midst of this amazing scene, we get a bit of humor. One of the elders John sees asks them if he knows who all these people are. John clearly doesn't know the answer. What John was seeing and taking in was too great and glorious for him to understand, let alone put into words. The great apostle, the one who was granted these amazing visions, could not recognize the majesty of God's plan on display. So he answers with a deflection, sir, you know, a classic saving face kind of answer, admitting that he didn't know and he needed help but without actually saying that. So the elder mercifully fills John in. The great multitude are those coming out of the great tribulation, those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. We know reading this passage that it's speaking about the church, the body unified by Jesus. 
But what we learn here is how they're unified by Jesus. They are unified by his deliverance. Notice that they are coming out of the great tribulation. This means that one, at one point they were in the great tribulation. Knowing John's context, that's probably talking about the Christians in and around his day who faced that unparalleled persecution of the Roman Empire. They faced a challenge of persecution, famine, nakedness, and sword. They fit perfectly in line with the Apostle Paul's quotation of the Psalms in Romans 8.36. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. John is seeing a vision of people who came out of that life and writing to a community that was living that life. But there was hope for those people. Despite that major challenge of persecution, they could have hope. They could be delivered. Why? Because as the people did in the vision, as John and the early church did, as all are called to do today, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This was an apocalyptic description of the theological truth Paul describes in Ephesians 1.7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. What brought that multitude together? What could sustain John and the early church through their seemingly endless and overwhelming persecution? What can keep us going today in the midst of global pandemic, feelings of total isolation and abandonment, injustice after injustice? It is the truth that we can hope because Jesus will deliver us. That's what the multitude is singing. Look at verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb, repent of our sin and place our trust in Jesus and receive his righteousness, we can be delivered from sin and its power. While our bodies may wither and fail, our spiritual and eternal salvation will be safe in the hands of the one who provided it. How loudly would that have spoken to John and the early church whose lives were in constant danger under Roman persecution? How loudly should that speak to us as we live through a global pandemic? Though our bodies will die tomorrow or in 50 years, peacefully or violently, Jesus will deliver us. That's a reason to hope. That's a reason to sing. In Jesus, there's a deliverance that goes beyond what any great leader or any vaccine can provide. If we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, we will be delivered from the power of sin and its consequence. We will be delivered from the eternal grip of death itself. That's already so good, but there's one more amazing thing we can learn from John's vision. Jesus unifies us, and he does that by delivering us from sin and death, but he delivers us to something. That's where John's vision ends. Follow with me as I read verses 15 and to 17. The multitude has washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They have been delivered by Christ. And starting now in verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, 
and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We can hope because Jesus will satisfy us. John's vision tells him, his first readers, and us today that we will be unified, delivered from sin, and taken to a place, a state, a realm of perfect satisfaction. At the start, I told you to think about the word hopelessness. Now, I want you to think about the word satisfaction. What comes to mind? Probably things like getting a job done well, or closing the deal that's been on your mind for weeks, or having your family around you happy and joyful. Those all touch on it. Basically, true satisfaction is having everything you need. This vision would sustain John and the early church in times of suffering. It can sustain us during our trials in times of fear because it tells us that one day Jesus will satisfy our every need. God will shelter us before his throne. Verse 16 tells us he will take care of our every physical need, hunger, thirst, heat. One day in God's heavenly temple, in God's new creation, in God's everlasting presence, those needs will be perfectly fulfilled. The same will be true of our emotional and spiritual needs. Those delivered by Jesus will have him as their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. Their every tear will be wiped away. The division, discrimination, heartbreak, hatred, slander, and sin of this world will be no more. The Lamb will satisfy our every need. He will perfectly provide for us. That's a promise. That's a reason to hope. And that's a message that Jesus himself, while here on earth, wanted to make known. Think of Jesus' lament in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. It has always been Jesus' offer to care for people as a mother hen cares for her chicks. Think about that image. The chicks would have food, warmth, guidance, and protection all under the wings of their mother. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day rejected that offer. Will you? Or will you run to Jesus? Will you wash your robes in his blood, receive his righteousness, join his people, and receive the hope of perfect satisfaction in the life to come? That's a hope only Jesus can provide. One day in eternity, for all those who trust in him, Jesus will satisfy their every need, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Every single need will be satisfied. That's a hope that sustained John and the early church through their persecution and can sustain us through our various trials. While there are so many more things to point to in Jesus, this passage pointed to three. Jesus is the only source of hope that can speak to every single trial in life, including the looming threats of global pandemics, natural disasters, and social and racial injustices. We can live and hope in any of these situations because we have the promise that one day Jesus will unify us, deliver us, and satisfy us.
The question now is whether you have embraced that hope. If you haven't already, you need to wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb. You need to repent of your sin, reject false hopes, and put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that one day you will be unified, delivered, and satisfied by Him. But if you have done that, let me ask you, are you living as a person with this hope? Have you recognized that this hope should change the way you live? Jesus will unify us. Is that something you long to see? Are you sharing the gospel with the nations? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what tribe or people they come from? Jesus will deliver us. Are you living in fear of suffering and death? Or are you living a life of gratefulness, knowing that Jesus has delivered you from sin? Jesus will satisfy us. Are you seeking God's intimacy and trusting in his provision today? Have you embraced Jesus as your shepherd over your entire life? Jesus is the greatest source of hope our world will ever know. Incorruptible, unshakable, eternal. A hope that will never leave us, forsake us, fail us, or forget us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would plant the truth of this passage deep into our hearts and minds as we go on into our lives. Help us to remember every single day that in Jesus we have the perfect source of hope. We have the promise that he will one day unify us, deliver us, and satisfy us. Help that to be a truth that shapes our lives, shapes our words, and shapes our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today. I hope and pray that this message will be a source of hope for you. I hope that you will look to Jesus and remember that he will unify us, deliver us, and satisfy us. If you enjoyed this message of hope, if you found it helpful, please share it with friends and family. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit us at www.gracebc.ca. Thank you and God bless.